Welcome to the second installment of the Felicity First Dates podcast, where we bring artists together over dinner and wine and force them to talk to each other. Tonight, I'm joined by director Brian Rieger and playwright S.P. Hegarty Monaghan, who both live and work in New York City. deal right i wanted to disguise this very large microphone and make it look inconspicuous by like wrapping it in kale or something but it (laughs) just like it didn't so now it just looks like we're in a little ritual that's okay oh it's a centerpiece yeah yeah i maybe could have put some props some roses around it that's okay but let's face it for yeah, what it is. Yeah. And the people won't see it. The exactly. People, they don't know what's yeah. happening. It looks so. very subtle for radio. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you wanted to know how Brian and I know each Yes. Time. So how uh okay. So well, why don't we was... start with you, Brian? Yes. <laughs> Who are you? Hi. Where do you work? Where do, do I do? work? My name is Brian. I'm the associate director of the Cell Theatre. It's a little space on 23rd Street. It's kind of a converted townhouse. Um, It started back in 2007. I joined about mm, 2013, just like ADing and doing things here and there. And then eventually I got brought on full time. So that's sort of where where my home base is. They're a not-for-profit dedicated to the incubation and presentation of new work which is, uh, could mean a plethora of things, you know? So yeah, there's, like, new um, new plays, new musicals, uh, poetry, uh, you know, visual art, uh, dance occasionally, all different kinds of things. A lot of jazz. Jazz on Saturdays, yes. Yeah. Every Saturday. Please come. But you also do your own stuff outside of the set? I did. At one, well, I, I still do, but um, not as much as I used to or as much as I would like to. So I started a reading series with my friend Anne, which is actually how I know SP. Uh, mm, we, uh, we were sort of just doing, we came up with this idea that we were going to do a sort of one day like play workshop where we would sort of rigorously work on material that we had with submissions and uh, put something up by the end of the day and invite people and have wine and cheese and all the, you know, bells and whistles. And it was really fun. And we're trying to start it up again. But that was at a time where actually I was part-time and she was part-time and we were, like, kind of all over the place. And we had a lot more free time and Mm -hmm. now we both are, like, full-time. And we're kind of doing that very thing, like, in our own respective jobs. So we're trying to find an opportunity to come back. But Because you get a lot of opportunities at the cell to yes. like yes. get involved as you know cre- yes. yeah <laughs> creatively yeah so brian was then a dramaturg on a show that i did at the cell at the cell when was that this was <laughs> july you're like what did i miss what yeah, yeah i don't know was it was july. july why did i miss that i thought that you went out of town and did a show that i did to do a show in connecticut and then i came back and we, it was really quick it was very oh. quick Yes. It was it was a it was, it was a fast turnaround. Quick I'm sorry I missed process. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. ridiculously oh. quick. Yeah, um, we did we were for two weeks. Yeah, like two and a half weeks. And then we did three shows? Four? Yep, three. Um yeah. I think you would have liked it now that I'm explaining. I, think so too. To I mean you. the the reading that we did two years ago was also it, at least how I remember it, it was yeah. a cast of thousands. It was like 100,000 people. That's what it felt it like. Was, I loved that project, though, too. That was a play called Rat Catcher. It was by this playwright, Ian Campbell, who I actually went to school with. Um, and it had to do with a uh, colony of, of uh, uh, adolescent boys who live in the woods, kind of like... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pied Piper? Yes, was, it does have to deal with that, but yeah. I'm thinking more Lost Boys. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, in their sort of commune that they have there, there's this magical flower that has these properties that sort of mimic the feeling of being in love. And so these sort of outsiders come in and try to kind of take over, if you will, um, and use that the juice of that flower for their own personal gains. And it's all kind of about how they're dealing with these people coming in and the sort of community and the set of rules that they have already. And this was part of the reading yes, series. Was, but it was actually at the cell. That's where like the two families oh, kind of like came connected. together. But ours was um, it was an adaptation of a Fassbender play called Katzelmacher, but we took it to uh, the playwright Joseph Hendel. Um, took it to uh, the American Midwest. Mm. So it was about a group of um, 
people in the town of Katzelmacher um, of all different sort of like ages, all kind of the same background though. They were all mm-hmm. very, you know, white, like mi- middle class, but like middle lower class yeah. and sort of how they deal with, once again, an outsider coming in who was a, um, um, an illegal immigrant who is coming in to find work at a wine home. And you were playing an American? Yeah. How's your, how's your American accent? It was good. It was. It was so good. I was so unsure. It, it's also very difficult in like a two-week process where you like, it has to just like, it was like all guns blazing, yep. huge cast of it, to be like, uh, by the way, <laughs> do I sound weird? <laughs> yeah. But no, it was, I, I had fun doing it. It I was crazy. It sounded all right. Because you've also been a dialect coach, right? I you? dialect coached, yes, the production that I did in Connecticut, hmm. which was interesting. It's really hard to dialect coach an Irish accent because I think people have like, I guess this is with any accent, but you have like a preconceived like notion of like what it sounds like mm-hmm. and that's really hard to reverse. Yes. Yeah. Here it is just the Lucky Charms commercial. Yeah. <laughs> it's Honestly, it's mode. very hard to avoid. It's very hard to come mm-hmm. back from that. And sometimes you sound like Shrek. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> totally. You don't just a, a bridge too a bit far. too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, but that was really enjoyable and I learned a lot from that. So SB, who are you? <laughs> who, who are you? Who are you? Um, I'm SP. <laughs> That's it. And yes, I'm S. Yeah, like Cher, Madonna. No, I'm SP Monahan. I'm a, a playwright and a washed-up, retired child actor. This is a great story, by the way. SP's child acting career oh God. is a phenomenal. I can't story. remember what you know. I mean, you know, the last time we really hung out, it was like. I'd had three bottles of rosé, and then we went to the bar afterwards. Yes. So I'm no, sorry if, if you've heard all of the stories before. No, no, no. I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed them. I can't remember the specifics of it, though. You. Well. So you, so you hit Broadway at a young age. <laughs> no. I, I, I failed to hit Broadway. Um, yeah, no, I, I was, I like sort of accidentally fell into performing, uh, I did community theater as a kid, and then um, I, I grew up in Brooklyn and then had sort of my adolescence on Long Island, and so I had very close proximity to Manhattan, the New York theater scene, and I was encouraged when I was uh, 10 or 11 to start going in professionally, and, and my parents, no one in my family's in show business, so mm-hmm. my parents brought me to a seminar with a child manager thinking it was not an audition, it was just an info session. Mm-hmm. And they thought that I would hear how much work was involved and that I, I would, would get discouraged. And I would have yeah. no interest. Okay. And it completely, you know, it totally backfired. Yeah. And then even though it wasn't an audition, at the end as sort of like a surprise or as part of it, they had us all read sort of commercial material. And then they said, I mean, maybe they did this for everyone, but at least they said that they didn't make offers out of the seminar. But then they did sign me out of the seminar, and yeah, and and I was sort of thrown like, you know, head first into theater. I mean, literally, I had that seminar, and then two days later, I had my first professional audition for a Broadway musical. No way. Yeah. So you got like taken out of school and everything. It was. Yeah, I mean, I the laws at the time Mm -hmm. and the sort of union deal was that you couldn't start auditions until after 3 p.m. for children. Right. Um, So that I could be in school at the time and then Mm -hmm. go out. Um, But then, yeah, I did, you know, I I was in an off-Broadway musical for 11, no, I was 11, I was in it for six months, Mm -hmm. and I did, you know, I missed Wednesdays, and um, I did once show up to an exam having just played Gavroche uh, in Les Mis with like charcoal and like oh soot my on my face. I literally like went to take like the math state test. <laughs> um, That's pretty badass. Yes. How did the exam go? Oh, I'm sure not well. <laughs> um, so then when I was 11, I also, I, I did this workshop at Manhattan Theater Club of a play by a playwright named Charles Bush, who's this wonderful playwright and drag performer. Yeah. And... Uh, he really got me and you know that's like a really great thing I grew up in a very you know Brooklyn Irish Catholic family and 
to have someone, you know, sort of see who I was before I saw who I was was really amazing. And so then he ended up writing me into this Christmas show that he does every year at Theater for the New City. And I've been, I still do that. We do it every year. I've been playing this part, Jimmy the Newsboy, for 15 years. This oh my was the, God. Yes. Yeah. It's That's been a long so time. cool. It's been a lot of fun. But then he sort of encouraged me to write as well. And I always loved, you know, writing stories when I was growing up. And then having him be sort of my mentor and idol, I never really thought of acting and writing as separate. So yeah. when I decided I decided when I was 16 that I wanted to stop acting I was so burned out I was mm-hmm. so miserable I hadn't I had booked all of I had worked a lot and and now it would sound really ungrateful if I were in my 20s but I was 16 and in addition to being in school and everything I had never I hadn't booked Broadway and that's what I wanted mm. so I was I was done and yeah. also to be honest you know casting directors and a lot of people in the professional theater, they don't know how to work with children. Mm. So they, you know, like a lot of sketchy stuff happened. And a lot of people mm-hmm. sort of behaved and treated me in ways that they oughtn't have. Yeah. And I, I just was really done. And I knew I wanted to focus on writing and going to college. So then I decided to go and study playwriting and... Um, I've been out of college for more years than I like to admit, and (laughs) I, you know, tried being an actor and a playwright and, and then found that I really, really wanted to be a writer. And, and if I perform, I pretty much am only interested in performing in my own work. Yeah. And so that's where I am now. Except the Christmas show. Well, that that's, that's a, a special that's a special occasion. I mean, it, that is like not even a, a play anymore for me. It's like my it. holiday tradition. Yeah. I mean, I that is my most long-standing holiday tradition in my life. I've been doing that more than half my life. Yep. So wow. you know, yeah. Wait, Brian, so do you? Because I know you sing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and uh, welcoming Brian downstairs. <laughs> um, do you? Because uh, now you mostly direct. Do you ever? Are you ever in your own stuff? Ooh, You're no, like, no, you no. I don't. Mm, I don't really like performing. It freaks me out. Um, did you used to? I well, I went to school. I, I did. Like okay, so it started off like basically in high school. I was just strictly like run crew stage management. Mm-hmm. Just like was only in, or was only interested in just like how the sausage gets made. Um, because <laughs> that's I, amazing. Very you know, mature. I grew yeah. up. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, so I saw, like, so many things. Like, I, you know, I used to, when I visit my grandma in, like, Long Beach Island, New Jersey, I would go see stuff at the Summerstock Theater. There mm-hmm. like, five different shows, and, like, you can just, like... So I was, I would, you know, I, I was always kind of immersed in that, and I was... I, I did, like, theater camp and, like, did, like, acting classes, but I just, like, didn't enjoy it. I was just too stressed out. I don't, like... Um, I don't like memorizing things (laughs) at all. So, and it sounds so basic, but I really can't do it. It just, like, stresses me out too much. So you just do the directing there? Yeah. Well, I I like dramaturging. I like aping. I like, I like, um, I like helping to shape the world in whatever way I can. Yes. But I do like to sing occasionally. If you like liquor me up, if I will. Like, oh my gosh! Yeah. Hey, here's some rosemary. Only at parties. Only at Christmas parties. Or and the occasional open mic night. That was oh, sort of my, my intro to performing. Was that I? I was like a, a choir boy. Mm. You know, I was the Brooklyn Irish Catholic choir boy. Oh my gosh! For the bishop and. <gasps> okay, you know. so like you. Were you like alto? Were you like an altar server as no. well? No, I was no, no, no. I was too good for the altar servers. I, 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 I had to have the spotlight. Um, yeah, and that was my first taste of, of rejection in show business because as soon as my voice started to change, I got fired. Oh my god! I was like, this is too high. Can we lower the key? They're like, oh no, and then I was replaced. Oh All my right. god! Well, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense as an adult, sort of looking back. That's but when their I was, fault. When I was 12, I was like, approach. yeah, you know. So, I, I definitely, by the time I was 16, I really fashioned myself like a, an old, washed up, mm-hmm. embittered. You just you know. erased it. Yeah. I also grew up Irish Catholic. I'm assuming you did, I mean, but I like I can just. Assume. I had no other option. <laughs> I guess. There wasn't much else for me to do. <laughs> it's Raida.
So we're all like, Gosh, you know, we were all introduced yes, to. Is. That looks absolutely amazing. Oh, it smells amazing. Listeners. Um, yeah. Guys, you can almost you can almost taste it. Like, we describe should, the yeah, smells. we should describe it. <laughs> Some oaky yes. overtones. But yeah, I mean, if we were all <laughs> no, if we were all like involved in like we were all like grew up Catholic, we were all privy to like the ritual of like the mass and like how interesting that was. And there was something about, and it still gets me because even when I went to um, when I went to Paris this last summer and like went into Notre Dame, there's something about like just everyone in a room and everyone is so focused on one thing and everybody is just quiet and listening to stories and listening to people like talk. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's, it's the same thing we do. Different messages, but it's, you know, there was something so profound that like for an hour, and as much as I probably begrudged it as a kid, there was just like an hour of people just stopping, stop talking and just listening. So did you convert from Catholicism to theater? Uh, yes, I did. I think you could say that. Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah, I, for, for me, I also, I've never been able to separate growing up Catholic from my sort of inclinations to mm-hmm. be, you know, because I was, I was a choir boy. And so from age seven, yeah. being a church was also a performance venue. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, that's so true. Okay, yeah. You, yeah. like, rehearsed there, and you performed yeah. there, and you, like, hung out there, like, beforehand. It was... Yeah, and also, you know, that I, I sang in the cathedral, which is, you know, huge and beautiful and theatrical. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. grave and dramatic looking. And um, then when I was, you know, a teenager, I, I did... Like the you know during Lent the like silhouette stations of the cross oh thing and my and that's just God, theater and, and and I I still sort of think about it about mm-hmm. like because the simplicity of it of, of just sort of tableaus music the story yeah and how deeply affecting it is for mm-hmm. people I mean it still is people for me. weep oh you know I mean it really is mm-hmm. high drama I mean it's very effective I don't think I'll ever stop thinking of myself as Catholic oh yeah but. I don't agree with the Catholic Church, <laughs> right? But that's all. But I, but I, I mean, it's like I, I was very conservative. I, I had a conservative upbringing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. And coupled with being in the theater, and not just being in the theater, but being in like, you know, the queerest of the queer theater that mm. one yep. could imagine, working with Charles. Um, and it's funny. I don't know what life would have been like if I grew up anywhere else. As conservative as Brooklyn, parts of Brooklyn can get, and they mm-hmm. can, it's, you know, I, I was on the train, I was a train ride from these Village, mm. um, and my family was totally supportive, and my, you know, family and grandparents all come to see this drag Christmas show that That's I've awesome. been doing every year for 15 years. Yeah. It is. Um, so I guess, but then when I was in college, I was not... I wasn't as conservative as I had been raised, but mm. I was still, I guess I liked to think of myself as moderate. There was something that's just so like the the white supremacist patriarchal system, pardon me for getting my soapbox so quickly, <laughs> ingrains sort of this idea that um, being moderate too is also just very righteous. And mm-hmm. that, you know, the moderates are I the only true. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Even though it's totally like bogus, it's, yeah, it's holding still back do this, like but I can evil. See you. Against... I can see why yeah. you think that, and I understand. It's but nuts. if we're still gonna do this anyway, yeah, like, it's that's just equivocating. Means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was at probably my least religious, and then I had just this absolute progressive awakening that made me the most religious I think I've ever been. Wow. During just, co- college, the mo- yeah, the mo- the more liberal I've become, the more deeply I feel like I've appreciated my reli- my religion and, and I feel like sort of the tragedy of the Catholic Church and of Christianity is that it is a revolutionary progressive religion that was co-opted by imperialism. So mm-hmm. when everyone talks about sort of how imperialistic Christianity is, and it's certainly, obviously, in the case mm-hmm. of Ireland, mm-hmm. was that 
that's not how it started. Mm-hmm. The tragedy is that the Roman Empire made it the religion. Mm-hmm. Because until that moment, it was the most countercultural. Yep. I mean, dangerous. And just that the thought of the first time a message of humans not only existing and being sort of subservient to a higher power, but being, but meriting love from that higher power is absolutely extraordinary. I agree. Like, I think, well... <laughs> I mean, do a, do a lot of these conversations go like this? I feel like <laughs> they can go wherever you want. Not what I expected, but this is like <laughs> really refreshing. No, I mean, because I, 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 originally what I was thinking about, what I wanted to talk to both of you about was like identity and like representation mm-hmm. in theater. And I guess that is part of what links the church with theater is this sense of identity. Mm-hmm. And this representation and sense of community, like there is so much to see that like they align. So it's not it's not too far to see that the conversation has gone that way. No, and you know, it's so funny. Everything I feel about my identity sort of evolved from my from my Brooklyn Irish Catholic identity. I personally, I know a lot of people don't like labels or feel like we should be growing away from labels i personally really love labels really am attached to the labels that i use for Mm -hmm. myself i just don't want other people to pick them for me me. yeah exactly (laughs) but i really love you know the language and vocabulary that labels give me and i feel like you know i just keep adding hyphens to it it's like brooklyn irish catholic you know queer hyphen brooklyn irish catholic (laughs) non-binary queer brooklyn irish catholic trans femme androgene i just will continue adding to it loves hyphens now (laughs) yeah and then it'll be very small font on my tombstone (laughs) yes yeah and but that that's a unique well i think point of view to have that you because i meet so many new yorkers and people in theater who despise labels. Mm-hmm. I know, everybody says it. I, I don't like labels. I don't like labels. I get it, and I wouldn't choose a label for them. Mm-hmm. But the idea of... I just I just love words. I know it sounds so <laughs> nerdy and cliche of me. Right. I love words so much. I don't want to lose words or limit the words mm-hmm. that I can sort of apply to myself. I, you know... I don't think that true sort of equity of identity means that none of us have labels anymore. I mm. think it's that we can all live in an equitable, excessive, accessible and inclusive society with whatever labels we want and it's mm-hmm. not yeah. going to you know, negatively impact our standing in that society. But I love the labels that I've discovered for myself and that I apply for myself. Yeah. No, I think I agree with you. I think labels, labels are, you know, for me, useful in sort of mining like who I am. Like, am I this or am I that? Like, not this. Like, then I'm like. Yeah. So there is something to that, I think. And you know, it's kind of just like you said. I want to make the labels myself. for myself. Yeah. It's wrong of me to like assume assume. that on somebody else like that's just not I think the thing with labels is they have such a permanent kind of or permanency around them Mm -hmm. that's why people fear them but in actuality I mean we're all we all change we're all a different person every day Mm -hmm. and so sometimes that's why when people are saying like I hate labels it's the fact that it's condemning them to be this one thing forever Um, but you know like you're saying you can you can pick your own labels and you can pick them on a Monday and pick them on Friday you know yeah. It's not always, it doesn't always have to be something permanent. Totally. And like, why would it be? How, why, how would it ever be permanent? I mean, I, I didn't have the experience that I know a lot of people who identify as, as anything other than the gender they were assigned at mm. birth. I didn't have the experience of feeling when I was a little boy that I, I was wrong being a, a, a boy at the time. You know, I, I really... I really, I was. I saw myself as as a boy. I really liked being a boy. I just didn't, because of the people I grew up around, Mm -hmm. the gender I would sort of grow into just didn't feel like it was like a closed door. Yeah. You know, I, I, in the theater and particularly around performers who would gender bend all the time, I, and, and even before that, 
you know, I my heroes were always my favorite stories were always stories about boys my age, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia, mm. Artemis Fowl, or adult women who I just revered and just idolized and wanted to grow up and be. And I never felt like I had to choose necessarily. So my identity then was true, I, I think. And my identity now is different, but I don't think that me, you know... Means that the mm-hmm. other one yeah, was wrong. Yeah, it wasn't wrong, and, and where I am isn't wrong now. And I'm incredibly open to the fact that my identity now may continue to evolve, you know, further. And that's fine, too. It doesn't make... I don't feel wrong in this moment, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what I'm most concerned with, is being able At to the, listen to yeah. myself and what I'm feeling in my identity, in my understanding of myself. And making sure that I'm comfortable with who I am. It makes me sad to see. I feel like there's a lot of intergenerational tension in the queer community, and that you know the older community feels very much sort of dismissed and disregarded for what they went through when they were mm-hmm. our yeah. age. And the younger generation, you know, feels that. Everyone needs to be held to a higher standard, particularly when it comes to language around identity. Mm-hmm. So there's conflict about the way that a lot of cisgender gay men sort of uh, respond to and talk about, um, you know, transgender people. Mm-hmm. It's very defensive. It feels like they were wrong or something, or like in like in from like where they were in that time period. Like everything that they like went through was wrong or discredited. Wait, what do you mean? Sorry. Go well, ahead. just like in terms of like, well, we didn't have a name for like that. Oh, it was okay, just like. Yeah, yeah. Drag queens, mm-hmm. or like this, mm-hmm. like we just like didn't like so, and it's very defensive, and it just feels you know, and it's hard, and like I will say, you know, also I do feel like, like I'm saying about evolving identities, the language we have for ide- our identities has evolved so much as Absolutely. well. So I do also find myself frustrated. I can't think of what, oh, Tootsie, so. Tootsie is opening on Broadway right now. No, no, I haven't. Um, And, you know, they're getting a lot of flack that I think is very appropriate for some just, like, absurdly in poor taste and tone-deaf marketing and merchandising. Do you want to explain a little bit about Tootsie? Yeah, so so Tootsie, you know, is this musical based on this movie from the 80s about um, a cisgender male actor who isn't getting work and decides that he'll have a better shot of getting work if he disguises himself as a woman and tries to pass as a cisgender woman. And, you know, the version of the 80s, it was about, like, soap operas, and now they've updated it, and I think it's about theater. I mean, I think they've updated it so that it's not even about television anymore. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, it's it's like it's like about women today. in theater. I'm pretty sure, at least Ooh. based on the reviews I read from the Chicago Ooh. production over the summer, that's what it sounded like. But, Ooh, I gotta tell people about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But the, you know, the poster for it is Santino Fontana, the yeah, actor, I've seen that. Yeah, with the, the like shaving, shaving cream and the, um, and then one of their log lines is something about like being a woman is no job for a man or it's not a man's job, which happens to be like a, a catchphrase of TERFs, trans-exclusionary mm-hmm. radical feminists, okay. you know, feminists who uh, do not extend their feminism to trans women and who maintain that trans women are not women. And so it's just like so tone-deaf mm-hmm. and capitalistic, you know, that they're doing this. Um, and they've taken a lot of flack. And I think that in terms of the marketing and the advertising, like, yes, that's well-deserved. Oh, I'm, like, kind of ashamed of myself that I didn't even, like, know this was how... I, like, literally dismissed it because it was, like, Tootsie on Broadway. So I was yeah. like, why am no. I even, like, yeah. <laughs> scrolled? I mean, frankly, <laughs> yeah, the, the blowback... I, I did the same. I was like... Yeah, I've only seen the me. blowback <laughs> to it in the past couple of weeks, you right. know, as they're ramping up to open. Um, but some of the comments that I see from younger people too about, uh, and and I get defensive. It's my reaction too when people start saying that you know drag is inherently transphobic and transmisogynistic and and 
on the one hand, I get defensive because it feels like someone's attacking my mom. It feels mm-hmm. like someone's attacking my family. Mm-hmm. And I have to, you know, I mean, that's my impulse. But yep. also, I just feel like, you know, it's not just that they're saying drag and statement. It's they're saying, like, a man, a cisgender man putting on women's clothing is transphobic and is mm-hmm. transmisogynistic. And I just sort of feel like, you know, the things that we understand and define for ourselves in terms of identity today also didn't exist then. Mm-hmm. And and some things get updated. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this, this club, the, the Tea Shack, is what it's called now. It, it used to be called, the T stands for a slur mm-hmm. against transgender people. And it went by that name for many years. And then what happened was, you know, people said, enough, this is a slur, we need to change it. And they mm-hmm. changed the name. But you know what? When it was first made 30 years ago, while it was still a slur that people outside of the community would use, naming the club that was meant to be a reclamatory act. Yeah, yeah. And people didn't divide back then in the same way between, um, you know, trans non-binary individuals in, in the same way that we do now. I mean... Anyone who was rebelling against the gender they were assigned at birth, people were truly allies to each other. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, um, my God, I've just remembered that you asked me a question before no, I got on the soapbox. Well, I have another. It's too late, it's too late now. I can't remember that question. It I was about it. Jack. I've written a play <laughs> I'll let you plug about it older later people and younger people. <laughs> All right, yeah. No, but what I was going to say was, you wrote an article that we're talking about, uh, it was on the Lark's website. It was. About yeah. cisgender ri- writers. Yes. Writing oh, in characters that were, is it, or are you like, oh, no, it's so, <laughs> it's, it's again, I've sort of like evolved since I wrote that. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the writer, the, the article was called Dear Cisgender Writer. I was asking cisgender mm-hmm. writers, I was calling for them to write plays that included trans characters. Mm-hmm. And the reason I I wrote it, first of all, it's my works website's blog. (laughs) So I wrote it thinking, no one will read this. And then I've gotten, this is my third podcast interview. Really? You are hot on podcasts. That's fabulous. Well, I only ask you about it because Mm -hmm. I genuinely was like, oh, I... Basically, the article said, was encouraging yeah. cis writers to, like, give it a go. Like, mm-hmm. please try. Yeah, and please I, I do. I, write in I really believe that, like, the burden cannot be on trans individuals to write their own stories. I, I do believe that other writers, that cisgender writers need to represent trans characters in the world. Mm-hmm. What I sort of didn't expect... Because what I didn't mean was write trans stories. Yes, mm-hmm. that was going to be my question. That's what I. That's like what I didn't mean, and I thought I was sort of making that clear because I did say in the article like, if a studio, a film studio, is doing a biopic of Marsha P. Johnson or Sylvia mm-hmm. Rivera, yeah, I want them to hire a trans writer for yeah. it. But what I was really advocating for was. I had just seen, can I, can I, well, I've talked about Tootsie. I guess I can name drop whatever the hell yeah, I want. Yeah, do whatever you want. So, like, <laughs> I thought it was, I had, I saw, you know, Harry Potter and, you know, the Fairyman's on Broadway, too. And regardless of the content of those plays, they're both plays that employ dozens of actors, mm-hmm. scores of actors yeah. between them. And, and in the case of Harry Potter, they play dozens of characters. They're like, 80 to 100 characters in the play Mm -hmm. and not one of them is trans and but they're all wizards yes yeah exactly but they're all wizards um they all take transfiguration and not a single one of them has explored this i've been thinking about that since i was seven i read i was like wait wait a second um so i was just thinking like how easy would it have been to just pick one track in those plays or on television how many characters are there who are mm-hmm. under fives how easy would it be to just say that this barista character or this judge character or this coroner mm-hmm. how easy is it to just decide that that person is trans yeah and 
not have their characterization be about their gender identity mm-hmm. or, or gender but do you experience. Think, I don't know if yeah. this is... Do you think that's because writers are like, oh, if I do that, I'm making a statement? Or like, mm-hmm. is that is that what you're saying? You, you're, you're, not, you're not. Do you know what I mean? I, I've been, I actually I find that it's the opposite. Really? That like, writers are more afraid of the what they perceive as sort of progressive or left-wing backlash against tokenism, which is really, frankly, like a right-wing moderate concern. Like it's not, Mm. that's an argument they sort of put on, on us or, you know, and I, I think that like, I did encourage in that article for cisgender writers to let go of that. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. I because I did feel and do feel I would rather have a even if it is if if you are writing a screenplay or your TV episode and you say I'm going to write one character who's trans and then you get to the end and maybe you haven't written any and then you pick one I think that's better than not having a trans character included in mm-hmm. in that world because trans people exist in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I got sort of that question from a lot of cisgender writers about like, oh, well, should I... T-? And actually, they don't even... They immediately jump over what I was trying to say about gender and go to race. Mm-hmm. And it's immediately... I'm getting messages and comments from white writers saying, right. can I write characters who aren't white? First of all, <laughs> you can. Secondly, <laughs> yeah. like, that's not what <laughs> I'm writing about. Like, yeah. l- listen, listen to me. I-, I felt like I had to be like, wait, I'm over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also did get a lot of feedback from a lot of trans artists who, and a lot of trans actors, um, who've been in plays by cisgender people with trans characters in them and have felt like what a disaster that was. And some of it I totally wouldn't even have, in my mind what I was thinking of was sort of what I said. You have that character who's a judge who you've already written. Mm-hmm. Why can't she be trans? And at the same time, <laughs> I need them to do their their homework. Their, mm-hmm. do their I need them Absolutely. to. I need them to do the work, and and try to represent transgender people as authentically and honestly and respectfully and compassionately as as the characters that they would write or assist. And it's also like you're going to do a certain amount of research anyway. You know, for any character that you were going to write, you were going to do the research. So why not do it for... Right. This is my jar. Um, of, uh, it's, it, they were supposed to be rapid fire, but then I ended up writing like... This is so exciting. Do you love jars of mysterious questions? I love jars of mysterious questions. Yeah, so we're also going to pick some questions. Okay. For you to answer. I want Brian to go more because I've said too much. Do do you want Brian to do the whole jar? I do. No. (laughs) Oh my God. Why don't you read the questions and we'll all answer them. Okay. Some of them are rapid fire. All right. Here we go. Who would play you in a movie of your life? I would like... Who's, who do you get told the most? Like, oh, you're so, you know, like this person. You know. I don't get that a lot. You, I get I don't. the time. I don't have a lot of people say that, like, you know who you look like? You look like this person. I'm sort of like... That's a better way to be. I, I guess. I did say <laughs> I was told I looked like Josh Hutcherson back in, like, sixth grade, but that's, that's the last fair. time I think <laughs> I ever fair. heard of that. I can hear or that. anybody said that to me. What about you? Who would play you? Maggie Smith. Oh, I would hope. You stole mine. Are you kidding? Yeah. You stole mine. She can play us both. She actually could, and she'd do an excellent job. I can play all of us. That's yeah, true. Yeah, that's so fair. I'd be very interested to see that, too. do, though. Yeah. Reenact this podcast. Uh, I get told the most that I, Zoe Deschanel would play me, and I don't really like that. I see that. I want it to be Natalie Portman. Ah, uh, I, or I see that. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, my God. Yes. Now, the best in the biz. You pick yeah. the best in the business. Here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. Because we were talking about, when you were talking about um, the people that you sort of admired and the work that you were drawn to and that it was mostly either, you know, young boys your age or, you know, adult women. For me, it was always female protagonists, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Like, I still, to this day, I'm not, like, like I, I gravitate more towards female stories. and Because that those were the people that I 
grew up with. Those were my friends since I was kin- in kindergarten. I don't, I did not grow up with male friends. I did not grow up being, mm. you know, super close to my male cousins. Mm. Like I, I like I didn't have a grandfather. I only had grandmothers, so it was just like that I was find more of those stories. me. So like, if I could answer like unabashedly, it would probably be like Jewel or something ridiculous. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> Jewel. I was getting like Brian. She's in an angry film. Oh, I would yeah. want her to, but that uh, yes, but like I, honestly, I I really I feel like the like that that is just those are the people the characters that I always identified yeah. with growing up still to this day going to see shows it's the same those same the characters thing. yeah that's so fun I was gonna pick Jewel for mine and I'm not, <laughs> listen, are you, are you I'm, like slightly psychic that, that you, a little yeah. she's not psychic she worked with me so. <laughs> also she every time we have a conversation I know Irish Jewel women really yeah the Roman said that you were all witches it's not untrue. Yeah. <laughs> should it be rapid fire or should it be more casual? Well, it, it'll go with the pace. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So I'm going to check if this is even... Slow. Broadway or off-Broadway? Uh, Broadway or off-Broadway as in, like, would I rather go see something on Broadway or go see something off-Broadway? Like, for if for the rest of your life, if you had to pick one. For the rest of my life, it would have to be off-Broadway. But, like, just because... Same. Yeah. I mean... But if you ask me, like, today, I feel like I'm more interested in the stuff that's being put on Broadway, at least in this season, than I am actually with some of the stuff at major off-Broadway, like, non-for-profits, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. I mean, it is, an, it is amazing that this is a season that began with a young Gene Lee play making it to Broadway, and exactly. right now we're waiting for a Taylor yeah. Mac play to open. I mean, it is, it is right. pretty spectacular. And we have, like, Hillary and Clinton. I'm yeah, interested in that. And I'd like, love to see that. I really want to see that. I, like, read a draft of it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I wrote it, like, ten years ago. Yes, I read it when I was, like, an intern at like mm-hmm. the vineyard theater like fresh out of college and it was more focused on because like trump wasn't even like really mm-hmm. a thing like right after you know in 2014 but like it, it focused more so on hillary clinton losing to obama so i'm interested in what where it has morphed now you know what it's gonna say that's true and it's and it also has such a it has a buzz around it i'm excited mm-hmm. to see it and also Broadway musicals, like maybe like Save for Tootsie, but like it's you know it. There's something so magical and about the scale of it all, and that's so weird. I would pick Broadway for the scale, for the you're like these guys had money, you know. You're like, yeah. and that's and you just you get into it and you enjoy it. But I I I also just love going to a one man off Broadway, like one woman off Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, like and you. And the int- I think mm-hmm. I like the intimacy of off Broadway. Yeah. And it's also like, is it off Broadway or are we talking like off Broadway? Off, off Broadway. Broadway you know? Still or love like, that. Are we talking about like major non for profit, like off Broadway, like public signature? Or are we talking like, you know, smaller, you know? I guess I'm talking off, 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 off. Yeah. Nice. I think like, I would probably do that. And I, al- too. I always get comments of people being like, as an audience member, that I'm always like smiling or I'm always just like, googly eyed Mm -hmm. because I always am so engaged by someone who just got up there there's nothing backing this like they (laughs) honestly just got up there and did what they can and did their most like that's what I find so engaging and what I respond to where sometimes at a Broadway show I find I can click out a little I just wish we had a new name for off-Broadway off. Off and off-off-Broadway because... Mm. Off-off sounds it's so dismissive. very dismissive. It is. I mean, I, I wish that we could... I just wish we had a marketing person to rebrand it for us because also that's really what I am what I don't like about Broadway is that we've sort of defined it as the like pinnacle where all the best art mm-hmm. of the year gets made, mm-hmm. which is just not it's true. I mean, the Pulitzers now don't even go to things no, that have been on Broadway not. for the most part. And I wish that, not that the Pulitzer is necessarily also the like be all end all of mm-hmm. one's art, but I, Absolutely. I wish like, if we, what, what could we call it? I mean, even right. like downtown is sort of used as a pejorative mm-hmm. sometimes. Yes, like, even like right indie, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. we need a marketing person. To I, I agree 100%. But even like major off Broadway companies are starting to feel very tired to me too now. Well, it's almost it's like the nonprofits down. broke the system and it, now they're slaves to it's the money. Little, exactly. They yeah. to be. And it's like, cool, you're making this thing that you want to go to Broadway. Like Yeah, like, and you're doing this revival again. Yeah. You know, that you know is gonna pay. And exactly. You're, you're doing this revival in the biggest house of your like 
yeah. you know, giant theater with like one cast member yeah. and like with us, like it's just, it just, it grosses me out. I still, I like the work that Playwrights Horizons does. I do too. I like the work that The Signature does. Even if I don't like the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the work that they're doing. I really, I worked at uh, Signature and as a front of house person. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. all throughout college, even after a little bit. But um, no, I love the fact that it always felt like a, it felt like a exhibition of like a playwright's work. Mm-hmm. So you would have like, you can see like different productions by like the same playwright sometimes at the same time. Like, you know, there was, there was a, a level of being able to track a person's work and their dedication to like the longevity of a playwright's of a career project, yeah. is awesome because they just kind of like unearthed like Edward Alvey and like Lanford Wilson when they were like, you know, 60 and they were like, nothing's working anymore. And like, they were like, wait, no, you should do stuff with us. Mm-hmm. And then it reinvent, like, you know, like we don't, we don't care. Well, partially I feel like there's, you know, pl- a lot of playwrights that I run into have a sort of trajectory in terms of like, I need to have a play here in New York. It needs to be a New York Times critics pick. And then I need to go to LA and write for television. Like there, yeah, they have there's a, like this strange. Yeah. It's hard because that really has become the path that's sustainable for mm-hmm. a writer to make a living. It's true. It's really hard. I mean, because the city also has become so Total. hard to live yeah. in. And, yeah. And Broadway has become, though I agree, there's really good work being done right now. It's a theme park now. And, it is. You know, Times Square is a theme park. And when I accept that in the moments that I do, I'm so not resentful of some of the work that gets done. It's I mean, reframing. Yeah. It I'm, I'm at a woman in an airport in Fort Lauderdale. Even we're in a, in a bar of a Chili's yeah. in an airport <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale. Because I was there because my play Aunt Jack was getting a production in a in a Fort Lauderdale theater, mm-hmm. and you know she, I was editing the play at the bar as as Heather knows I want to do, and uh, she just asks me about it and then tells me oh I love the theater you know I, I fly to New York for work all the time you know and I asked oh well what what have you seen lately that you really liked and she's like my favorite show I've seen in the past ten years was Escape to Margaritaville, <laughs> and I. As a, as a rule, would walk past the Marriott Marquis, past Escape to Margaritaville on my way to the 49th Street subway after work, and would hiss at it. <laughs> would just like a cat would be as I walked by. Yeah. But then I sort of realized, like, it was really beautiful. Like, two strangers, we meet in a, a bar at a Chili's in an airport in Fort Lauderdale, yeah. and we're talking about theater. And I don't care that she, I'm thrilled that she loved Escape to Margarita. That's exactly how I feel when I talk to like family members mm-hmm. yeah. who are like, "Oh, we're going into the city to go see exactly like Escape to Margaritaville," or like, "How did you?" Or like, "What have you heard about Pretty Woman?" It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like you're trying here, and like I, I and like this that. is like I mean like you're gonna go see it anyway, so yeah. like, and I but, want them to like it. I exactly. mean, I want people to like the media I want people a... to go there like what they see and keep seeing things you know That's and I just mean. I do believe like in the power as, as corny as it sounds like of theater of what we were talking about of having a group of people in a room together hearing a storyteller mm-hmm. it's such a powerful act yeah it's such a powerful empathy builder and mm-hmm. I really do I don't, I don't the, it, like it is the most phenomenal way to educate someone in, in someone else's story yeah. like I think it is visceral. the best way yeah. We just need to rebrand. That's it. We just need to rebrand off-Broadway. That's what this is now. This is a marketing (laughs) We've gone through so many waves in this meeting. No. I said something like slightly controversial to somebody who is like a musical theater composer. And I was like, do you ever just wish that like all of these like jukebox musicals, like the Cher show, like I did see it and I did enjoy it, but like (laughs) for reasons, but like, don't you just wish that like these jukebox musicals would just be like why don't we just embrace that they're just like giant Las Vegas residencies and actually just have share like yeah. on Broadway? Like I will go see. Yeah. <laughs> like embrace what it is. And like we're going I don't that way. I mean, now post Bruce Springsteen, I think that's going to be more and more. Right. And maybe that's and I think save I would us. Pre- and in a way, I would prefer that than like forcing. Although I am excited about Jagged Little Pill, I'm going to stop talking now. I'm not. I'm not sure I believe all this, listeners. My favorite line from a play is... This one is hard. 
That's really hard. I admit that. You can pick a scene. A scene, scene is something. easier. Actually. A scene is easier. But I feel like you both already have lines. No, so no, I, I honestly like, don't. Okay. I don't. I don't. I wrote these questions and don't have answers prepared. I think my favorite scene in a play, or at least the one that comes to me immediately, like if this was rapid fire, yeah. I think it's which the is, which it, yeah. Like the, I sold it um, I think it's the final scene in Top Girls, Carol Churchill's play. Oh yeah. The payoff is just so insanely good. And you're taken on this wild, like, three-hour journey, like, across, like, all these different theatrical landscapes. And then it ends in this very kitchen sink drama way that, like, sums up basically what the whole, everything that you just saw is Mm -hmm. essentially about in a domestic setting. And I thought it was just, like... That's a very good, yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. So good. That's a very good choice. (laughs) In my opinion. SB, do you have one? Gosh, for it to be a line is so hard. That's, I've narrowed it. That down. is hard. But actually, <laughs> I wanted to challenge the both For me, it's <laughs> almost the reverse. Is It's like, I love, the things that are coming to mind for me are like moments. It's not even just like the line necessarily. It's like the effect that the line mm. has. It's the response to the line. Like moment in the theater. The, favorite mm, moment yes. in oh, the yeah, theater. That. Like the first thing that oh, comes yeah, to mind. Yeah, do you mind. have one of those? A favorite I moment so. will do. The first one that comes to mind is... Uh, it's a musical. It's a, not a play. It's in Assassins. It's the moment right at the end when Lee Harvey Oswald fires the gun and there's this, like, there's this silence. That it's like a big exhale. Mm-hmm. And then this incredible, majestic, you know, orchestral music comes in. And... It's like the reckoning of the whole play Mm. is in this nanosecond. Mm. And I will, if I'm really feeling stuck, I, I, first of all, I think that the book to that musical is one of the best ever written. Mm. I think that that last book scene that's like 10 to 13 minutes long is I need to revisit it. I mean, it's amazing because the off-Broadway cast recording, they recorded that whole scene Mm -hmm. of of, uh, the Kennedy assassination. It's, you know, like 13 minutes long. It is genius, mm-hmm. and I will if I'm ever sort of stuck uh, or need sort of like a kick. Like, what is what am I trying to do here? I will listen to that, and every time I'll burst into tears when the orchestra comes in mm-hmm. right after. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. There's a moment that I can remember, at least recently, that I thought was just awe-inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> was actually um, it was. The revival of Glass Menagerie with Cherry Jones mm-hmm. and like Celia King yeah. and Bolger. And it was the moment where Zachary Quinto literally pulls Celia Keen and Bolger out of the couch cushions. Like, because he's like setting the scene and he just like grabs her wrist and she like moves out like of the couch. Like, she is pulled out from the couch cushions. That was an inspired production. I was like, I didn't even, and then of course, like a late cedar came in, like yeah. two seconds later, and like got lost, and then like the rest of it was ruined. But like, gorgeous. It was just like I was like, this is like why I want to keep doing this. Yeah. This is just right there is. Have you ever played that part, Heather? No. That'd be it's a good part. Great part for you. <laughs> I'll take it. Laura. Yeah. This no, is I now a production be a meeting. Back <laughs> <laughs> in. in. Sorry, we got so distracted. Production <laughs> meeting. What about Do you? <laughs> Do I have a favorite moment? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm trying to think of stuff that I've seen this year. I remember a moment, my favorite moment from a show, I think, was in Usual Girls by Ming Pfeiffer. Oh my gosh. Really? At Roundabout. Well, did, did, did you not? No, no, no. I just wasn't expecting, like. I loved it. Yeah. I just thought, so there was a moment where Kyung, or Midori Francis, comes in and there's the scene, I don't know if like, I give away the whole time, but where an older version of herself is like clinging to the younger version of herself. Basically, she's been kind mm-hmm. of attacked by a boy at a... I read it, I never movie. saw it, or I read it But book. the older version of herself is like begging her not to shower. Mm. And then obviously she gets and she gets in the shower. But like, I do, and everyone in the audience is just like, just don't, oh. like, oh, don't. Like, and yeah. also, the theme, it was, yeah, that's again why I like... Just these smaller audiences, that's the intimacy that you get that I think you can only get with a very small audience. There. That's right. That's what we just read. Uh, Don't double jar, Brian. I swear I didn't do that. No, this is a tricky question. This is not what Rapid Fire. Give it, give it, give it. What is theater in New York missing? 
Apart from what we just talked about. <laughs> what is theater missing in New York? More affordable seats. Always. That'll always be a thing. I think it's missing more... I want more foreign language mm. on stage. Mm. I've recently seen like two or three foreign language plays and I'm like, yeah, I want more of that. I love that. Yeah. Like you saw them in the language in which they were originally yeah. written. Mm. We have a lot of translation residencies at the Lark, and that's also really amazing. That's we had a, cool. We had a Mexican, uh, Mexican, U.S. playwright exchange in February, and that's really cool. I feel like people think it's more work though. People are like, I don't want to read the subtitles, and I'm like, I live for that. I mean, like, you're I get a more authentic performance if you're if it's in you know whatever. Like, yeah. Absolutely, I love going to the opera for that. Yeah, reason. For that reason, exactly. Maybe it's just not missing in <laughs> Oh, it oh, it's missing. Is. I mean, I'll just. It, it, it also more depends. Gay. It, it needs more gay. <laughs> That's maybe the one thing that it does it more. It more gay people. <laughs> That's what I say. Um, I feel like I'm specifically thinking of, of like Broadway and mm-hmm. commercial off Broadway. That's what I'm trying more, to think about. It needs more non white voices, yeah. mm-hmm. specifically. Um, it needs more black voices, specifically. There are. Because at first, when I heard the question, that was my first impulse. And I was like, but it's not like there's a lack of black playwrights in the this, in this city. It's not like there's a, a lack of, of black genius playwrights in mm. the city. It's just that the, the plays that then get moved to Broadway, mm-hmm. I just... Did you see what to send up when it goes down in December? I Alicia Harris literally had an opportunity to see it, and I got the flu. So they published the full text in American Theater Magazine this month. Oh, great! And you know the Lark has its subscription, and I'm literally like walking <laughs> by the whatever you know magazine table at the entrance that I never look at, and like I glanced and. I saw that it said what to send up when it goes down, full text, and I grabbed it. I haven't looked in one of those, Mm. you know, in months. It is so spectacular, Mm -hmm. and Scott Rudin is making so much money right now, (laughs) he just should make, he should just put it on Broadway. The world will be so much better for that play. I mean, and then well, I, I think across to all, you know, uh, slave play, uh, you know, mm. the, the world will be so much better for that to be on Broadway. I or mm. for the, agree with you. the, you know, we have this uh, amazing artistic coordinator at the Lark, Misi Aya, and she was talking about, um, she did this workshop diversifying our organizations at Art New York, and they talked about like who the typical Broadway theater goer is mm-hmm. or commercial Broadway theater goer is, and they call her Sue Ellen, that she's this sort of you know white middle aged senior, uh, you know affluent suburban. Mm-hmm. She goes with her friends. She either lives in Connecticut or Long Island or New Jersey or lives in on the Upper East Side or something, and and that's sort of their target demo in a way. Yeah. That's who makes money for them. What an well, we amazing world! Sue Ellen. Yes, yeah, if show. Sue Ellen yeah. was at what to send up when when it goes down, if Sue Ellen could be in a space that was made for Black people, for the first time in her life, that's what New York theater is missing right now. Yeah, I will piggyback off of that and say that I think that New York needs more, at least like commercial Broadway needs more artistically minded producers. People who are not afraid to take risks or people who are producers that are like there in development for the plays that they bring to Broadway. And with not, you know, not with money in In mind mind. and more on what is actually being put on stage. I feel like it was so much, I feel like there was more of that maybe in like the 70s or 60s and 70s. Like, just, like, producers that were, you know... Willing to, t- do willing the to take these, like, you know, amazing playwrights that we've seen, like, in that time period that, you know... I just feel like we're lost... Or we're lacking in that. I'm digging in. We're almost done with the Yeah, I know. Jar. I think we may have already... Mm, maybe mm. not. What was the best show you've seen this year? 
the best show I've seen this year. Or recently. Hmm. This year, show. 2019, or this year in the past? That is months. up for interpretation. Like this year, as in like from now until like this time last year. <laughs> what is the best show? What you've the seen Constitution recently? means to me. Damn, how do you feel? What to send up when it goes down. It is I'm... a gift to be in that space as a as a non-black as a white person. Mm. Is there they any did not plans need to, to make move that? that? I don't know. Off the record, they did not need to make it for me. It was amazing. Mm. I, I can't pick. I don't know. I did love Usual Girls. That that's. I feel like that's a valid choice. Yeah. Oh, is that the last one? Okay. Is it the last one? Oh my god. Did we? My theater pet peeve is. Oh yeah. Hmm. This can be small. This can be like re audience members or re like. Production is it choices. bad? Like my thought immediately went to like audience members, and I yeah. was like, <laughs> annoying too. audience members, annoying audience members. Like, uh, I can I can talk about that for like a thousand years. I agree with that. Just working in front of the house, like at Signature, and like with subscriber based like audiences, it was like <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone is so annoying. <laughs> no, I like I I guess mine, but mine can't be helped. Mine is when someone tall sits in front of me. Someone's house sits in front of you. Yeah, it really hurts. Very... It really affects the rest of the production. Mm. Um, or, yeah, phones. I cannot Late fathom... Late Yeah. I cannot fathom why you did not check your phone before it's the, the play. So mm-hmm. It's the one thing that you have to do <laughs> if you're yeah. not in a show that has audience participation. But it's the one thing. Turn it off. I can't stand people this is going to sound so counterintuitive i can't stand people who shush in the theater <laughs> yes so much louder and more disturbing and distracting <laughs> and oftentimes like the worst shushing offense i can think shushing. of is i saw gore vidal's the best man in 2012 that sounds like a shush heavy show it was a shush heavy show <laughs> and then the person who was getting shushed was having a heart attack oh my yeah. god had to be carried out of the theater. John Larroquette had to call. Is there a doctor in the house? I mean, it was literally like, and I was like, oh, you all feel like assholes. I hope, but they oh didn't. Oh my god! Because they were a hundred. I actually, though, some of my like favorite moments in the theater are when people are doing things that are sort of like not standard, acceptable audience behavior. I love comments from like. Old, oh yes, old so New York women interject. Yes. I am here for it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love, but it's yeah. the shushers that like shush those people. Yeah, they're always like, "What did you say?" And then it's everyone like, "Shh!" Like a thousand people are just like, "Shh!" It's a wave. <laughs> and I love playwrights who are now sort of responding to that because there's um, Dominique Morisot. Yes, yeah, who, yes, that's exactly where I was going. That there's this list like people can make noise and say things and I have sounds it. and reactions, and that's good. Yeah. Um, I do like that. I mean, because I love. I saw when I saw Little Night Music in 2010. There's this line where Madame Armfeld says, "She's like, dinner will be served at nine o'clock," and this woman sitting in front of me goes, "Huh." Late. Oh <laughs> my god! And like time stops in that moment. She just and that wasn't your favorite moment in the theater. That was the I know. I don't that know. was I really magical. Late. <coughs> I should probably check with my grandma and make sure she didn't go see that because that was definitely <laughs> that was her. probably that was probably oh, her. She was, was she wasn't wrong. Yeah. Two of my dad's sort of colleagues from work, or or one of them and his wife, um, came to see a play that I was in maybe five years ago with this theater company and then somehow were on the theater company's mailing list Mm -hmm. and they thought that like the next play they did was like a play I was in or involved with and it was an adaptation of Tis Pity, She's a Whore. And so it's like (laughs) an insane high school adaptation of like an incest play. And uh, yeah, and and then I found out, I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. I'm so glad you went. (laughs) It's always so funny, like, with like your you know your grandparents or like your older aunts and uncles or like your parents like you go to theater school and they just like want to see you in like guys and dolls and then you're like 
here's my production of Miss Julie, where it's like literally <laughs> simulated S&M, sex. and yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. enjoy. Like, yeah. they're yeah. like, oh, but like, it it's worse, I have to say. Yeah. It's worse, the feeling is worse when you've written the play. Yeah. Because yeah. I did have my grandparents and, you know, at this reading of Aunt Jack, which is like a yeah. play about, you know, polyamory and, uh, and they brought, you know, my Irish cousin who has been in town for the past month and I know her, I adore her. I don't know her terribly well. Mm. And my sort of bias and predisposition is that this sort of middle-aged Irish lady, Irish Catholic lady is going to be very conservative and she watches the play and afterwards I was like, I'm sorry, you know, I know it was very it was too. very raunchy. And she was just like, oh, nothing shocks the Kelly girls. Like, oh, oh I like so I like zesty. you even more. So zesty. There's yes. a show there, the Kelly yeah, girls. The Kelly, Kelly girls. I think that's so. so true. There are three sisters, and so that's already fodder you for like, all the greatest dramas of ever. I this is now a production meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Let's regroup. <laughs> no, I think that's the point, though. Like, I repeatedly send my parents to plays that I know are going to be trying a bit too much, but like, that's. Like, I am always like, because I, I sent them to a play in Dublin recently and my brother messaged me being like, mum offered me this ticket to go see this with her. And I was like, yeah, I told her to go to it. And he was like, you know, it's all about like drugs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to like, you know, Engage let her in a in. dialogue with yeah. my mother about drugs. <laughs> yeah, I well, yeah. No, but I'm trying to like, let them, you know, because otherwise they'd just be going to our national theatre and go see, yeah. not our national theatre is bad, but like, they'd be going to see the same old kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to f- send them to things that I genuinely think are worthwhile. And also it was like, a young, it was like no, a young playwright and like... That's so great. Yeah. Because you know, your writing. people <laughs> have made very good, good plays. <laughs> they do a lot of good plays. Good plays. Irish people are great. Irish that's people. That's the end of our podcast. And that's great. that. that Tune in next that. week. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, yes. Cheers to the Irish. They would want a good date. Yeah. Second date. Second date. Yeah, Second date. Still well. no tongue. Second date. <laughs> that works. We're still just feeling each other out. <laughs>